Five o'clock on the Blitz. Work is over. It's time to let that bird fly. Free that bird, boys. Tulsa, happy Monday. It is another edition of the show on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. I'm Colby Daniels, along with the 2023 Oklahoma Sportscaster of the Year, Jeremy Poplin, Scott File on the other side of the glass in the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studio, and John Holcomb joins us on this Monday. John, my friend, hope you had a great weekend. It was something else. Let me tell you, love the weather, and then the atmosphere inside Gallagher-Iva was just off the charts for most of that game. And what a game. I mean, it um, just comes down to one team taking advantage of more of their opportunities by maybe one shot than the other. Just a ridiculously good offensive basketball. I think Colby said it best earlier. It, it felt like that when it was all said and done, and I know you have to create moments. They, Oklahoma, I thought, was really great on second-chance points and taking advantage of some uh, rebounds and missed free throws from Oklahoma State. But still, though, John, uh, you couldn't help but feel like maybe they, they were able to, to steal one out of Gallagher-Iber Arena the way that that kind of second half and overtime unfolded. I think that's fair. I think that's a, a pretty good way of describing it. You know, I think there were two things that get lost in all of the late-game stuff that were really important in this one. And one of them was the Soares three right after OSU had taken an 11-point lead because they were on the verge of separating and taking a double-digit advantage into halftime. And then so that, you know, that gets it back to eight. And then basically, I mean, it was, it was close at that point, but then eight-point lead and OU starts the second half, scores on the basket. There's a foul on Keller underneath, so OU maintains possession and gets two more points out of it. And all of a sudden, instead of an eight-point game, it's a four-point game. And, you know, the Cowboys, yes, had chances to stretch it to maybe seven or eight again, but it really stayed in about that four- to five-point ball game back and forth for the majority of that second half. And it was just, uh, who's going to stop who? And... Um, Who's who's not going to turn it over? You know, and they, I mean, it was just ridiculous. You mentioned the second chance points, and that was a major, major deal in that second half. And Otega Owe, kind of an unsung hero for for OU. Soares, I didn't think he was going to be able to continue to play after he got in, because at one point, about two or three minutes after he'd gotten on the floor, he's limping really bad right in front of Dave and me in the OSU bench, but he guts it out and finds a way to get it done. But Owe on the offensive glass early in that second half. That was a big key for them as well. I, I said earlier, I think regardless of the outcome, and uh, I know for OU fans it's obviously sweet, and for Oklahoma State fans it, it might hurt a little bit the way that one ended. Like, nobody, I thought, going into that was talking trash and saying my team's better than yours and my team's going to win. Like, I think everybody just hoped that they were going to get a fun, entertaining bedlam-worthy basketball game. And at the end of the day, that's that's as fun a basketball game as I think I've seen this year in college basketball. Yeah, and it's, it's just great to, again, have that atmosphere in Gallagher-Iva again and, and for the fans to show up when, yes, OSU had won two in a row and had found some things, you know, and really starting to grow up a little bit 
for the fans to respond. And I know that you know a lot of it too was last bedlam for a while outside of meeting each other in the Big 12 tournament. I doubt they'll play each other next year. And one reason is because, and I think we talked about this on Friday a little bit, there's a potential of going to 20 conference games in the Big 12. And you don't really know, you know, you, you, that becomes a non-conference game. And, yes, I think it'll be back, and it's probably going to be back sooner than football. But I, uh, I would be a little surprised if, if they were going to play each other next year in a non-conference game. With all that on the line, then to get the shot-making that you had down the stretch, which, yes, OSU, the fan base, appreciates the defense and intensity for sure. But um, making crazy shots can also get you off your feet. And I still don't know exactly how Jamiron Keller got that left-handed pass to John Michael Wright in the corner when he made the three to put him up 82-81. And, you know, Godwin's all over Wright, and, and Wright still finds a way. Or it wasn't Godwin, it was uh, Yuzan. It's all over him, and, and still John Michael finds a way to get the shot off. I mean, it was just one play after another. And, you know, you can go back from an OSU perspective and you can see, other. in addition to giving up too many second chance points and, you know, Oway just muscled Brandon Garrison on the missed free throw and, and Oway gets a put back at a critical time at that juncture. But there were two other instances over the course of the game where OSU scores and it's a momentum type of bucket but they got caught a little bit celebrating and gave up baskets or had a foul and an and one on another end. And you can say, wow, they did a lot of good things, but when it comes down to a one-possession game, every one of those situations that you can control counts. You know, it's unfortunate that Javon Small missed the front end of the one-and-one one in regulation. Um, it's not to say that, you know, OU, if he'd made both of them, if OU doesn't throw in a three at the end of regulation, I mean, who knows the way that game was going. But you had your opportunities if you're OSU and you let it slip away. There were, I felt like, moments in that second half um, that, John, I, I would have sworn that you could have looked over in the sidelines and there would have been the denim shirt with the red tie that there would have been Eddie <laughs> at the end of the bench it just kind of had that feel to it right we talked about that on Friday about how when that series kind of hit its peak that uh, no matter what level of, of overall record that the team had or had at that point you just knew that they were going to go to war and in that second half, when they were trading buckets back and forth where it, it didn't feel like like one team would get the momentum and then Oklahoma had the lead like it's 72-70 at one minute, then the next thing you look up and it's another big shot at the end of the floor, just the haymakers. Uh, maybe haymakers is the wrong term. How about this? How about just the jabs back and forth between the two like they were trying to outpoint each other? That was uh, that, that kind of had a feeling of early 2000 late 90s version of, of Bedlam basketball. I'll share a little courtside story with you in regards to that. You had one veteran Big 12 official referee on, on, on the call, and you had two new faces. And, you know, Barry Henson sits next to uh, Dave and me, and, I, and, and Barry knows, obviously, from having been in the game, and he's having a conversation before tip-off with this veteran member of the officiating crew. And 
you can look it up and, and figure it out who it is, but I I don't know what prompted this official to say this to Barry, but I did hear it because this official talks to Dave and me a lot too. And he, all I heard him say was, hey, I can remember back in 1998, I'm here and there's Eddie Sutton on this bench and there's Kelvin Sampson on that bench. And he said, and I had no business being here. <laughs> he was on the call. So I'll let you draw your own conclusions about what that may have been in reference to. But I, I will say this, that, uh, that overall I thought the game was officiated pretty fairly on both sides. You know, yeah, you could say they, they should have blown. It could have, maybe not should have, but could have blown a whistle on the contact when Javon small with the Cowboys up one, you know, that, and he didn't get the call as he drove, missed the shot. No, you got the ball. And that's what ended up with the, uh, the game winner. They could have, but they didn't, you know, and, and they were letting it, it get physical, but not really out of control. I thought OU did a, a really good job of muscling Brandon Garrison. You know, Sam Godwin did. I mean, you could you could say, well, and, and Godwin got called for a couple of fouls. Northweather got called for one, but it was obvious that that was part of their strategy was to try to rough up the freshman center for OSU. And you know, Brandon got picked up one or two fouls. That one of them was a hustle play and for diving for a loose ball. And I mean, he did foul him. You know. And it, it got Brandon off his game because he's kind of that X factor and has been great, for the most part, home conference games on Saturday afternoons. But he just wasn't uh, as productive as he had been, and he fouls out. Um, now, in his place, Eric Daly Jr. was tremendous on the offensive end, setting up teammates, scoring, looking confident, you know, rebounding. I mean, he got that offensive rebound that gave them a second chance that led to that play where small was driving and, and got stopped. But, uh, you know, it just, I mean, how many, how many different directions, different people we want to talk about here, because just about every player that touched the floor had a critical role. In the aftermath of all of that, do you feel like the team as a whole, and I'm not talking just about Mike Boynt and maybe his comments, but the team as a whole, did they, did they walk away from that feeling completely deflated because they, had so many opportunities to win and, you know, you lose on a shot like that? Or are, are there just so many silver linings in terms of of things that you did well and things that put you in the position to win that, you know, maybe because of that you're not as deflated? How, how What was your perception of just the way that they handled it all in the aftermath? I think it goes to the individual basis because I do think there are some players on that OSU roster that truly believe that they're a better team than OU and they, and they, and they let them steal it to your usual your phrase. And yet I think that, and I'll give you two different examples here. Um, Jamiron Keller just looked devastated walking out of, uh, off the floor and heading, heading out because, you know, he, it was McCollum hit the shot over him, but yet Keller played pretty good defense you don't want to foul a guy in that situation. Um, and then we had Eric Daly on the postgame. And Eric's a very well-spoken young man. But, and I sensed, yes, he was disappointed they lost, but I sensed more confidence from him, and for good reason, with the way he played, and to a certain degree the way he played at Cincinnati. Um, although not on the level he played at Bedlam. You know, like there's an excitement that was kind of, the underlying feeling with him, even though he was like, you know, gosh, shouldn't have lost that one. 
but you got to get back and you know get on the horse and, and go again. So I, I felt like there's a mixture individually. So I'm really curious to know how practice went today. To your point on Daly, uh, you brought up the Cincinnati game. Um, to me, Daly is kind of the prototypical guy that we've been talking about for a while, like this group of young guys that not all of them – seem to figure it out or come along at the same the same and have the same type of progress but i mean it's it's safe to say that this was clearly i mean his best game i mean the second half was was fantastic from him but john that's probably like the best combination of games that he's played since we flipped the calendar to 2024 it feels like yes there's no question about that and you know you hope it continues and when a player of his caliber gets a taste of that and finally you know, whether it's the game slowing down for him or him hearing the right things from the right people, you know, and his parents are great people, you know, but, you know, there, there's some, you, if, if you're a freshman that's gotten as much attention as he has or as Brandon Garrison has, I mean, you, you don't really know unless they just totally bare their soul to you. You don't really know what they were thinking when they were coming into college. Were they thinking that they they're a definite one and done, and they're going to play professional basketball next year? You know that sort of thing. On some level, you know those guys these guys come in with so much confidence that maybe they do entertain that idea, unless you're a lottery pick, and then you know you can, you know, be one and done and go. So how over the course of the season, when you hit that realization of, hey, this isn't going exactly the way that I I thought it was going to go. Now, how do you really recalibrate? How long does it take you to do that? What style of player are you that allows you to bounce back from something like that more quickly? And I think, Eric, given the fact that he is most comfortable as a distributor and a scorer, because he's had to learn how to play defense, and he's gotten better at it, but as a distributor and a scorer, to put him in the best uh, positions to, to help himself, I mean, that was ideal against Oklahoma. You put him in the high post. You go with a smaller lineup. So now OU's, OU had to tr- change. They had Godwin on him at one point, Northweather when he, he was in. And then they switched it out and put a smaller, quicker guy on him. And, you know, by that point, Eric had enough confidence that he, he was stronger with the ball. He got to his spots. He found open men. Now, is that going to work with every situation, like UCF coming in on Wednesday when they've got – maybe longer, taller defenders, the one after the other they can throw at him. We'll see. But uh, he, he's, he's gotten to that point to where he's in a real comfort zone at the moment, and let's see how much he can grow. Over the last week or so, I mean, we've seen from, you know, the, the sophomore Williams and then the three freshmen, I mean, it was Daly and Williams on Saturday. We saw Keller and, and Garrison have big games. I mean, collectively that group has has really come on and and it's just now seemingly turning that into some form of consistency right yeah and and, you know you're you're what you're 27 games into the season and you can say well that maybe it should have happened before then you just never know with the individual young guys how quickly things are going to click for them and it's you know it's it's interesting but you know you you found this kind of level, and and some of it's that Jamiron Keller's gotten more playing time and been able to feel more confident quickly. But you know 
you'd love to have Bryce Thompson around, but the uh, what to, what this what Thompson's injury has allowed this team to do is is to give, you know, to be able to discover Keller's skill set and how it impacts games, um, on a more than just a two or three minute stint. You know, if you make a mistake, you got to come out that that sort of thing. Um, it, it's allowed these guys to grow together, and that that's what's kind of exciting moving forward. You know, but it's it's um, and I, and I've lost my train of thought on that beyond that point. But but what what I'm really interested to see is okay, you found something. Things had been really difficult for you, but you found something. Now you've hit your first taste of adversity. After you found what was working, how do you respond to that? What does it look like against a team that's very physical and long, but not very efficient offensively? And I'll go back to this. This is what I was going to say. Some people looking in from the outside would say, well, they just they still, they, they can't win close games. This loss was much different than those games early on and through the course of the season up until they won one in a close game. This one, you didn't throw the ball away. You didn't have the wrong guy with the ball in his hands coming down the stretch. Uh, you didn't. You just run. You didn't just kind of dribble the ball out and not have any sort of a sense of an offensive set. That wasn't how this one happened. This one was just high level execution and shot making by both teams. All right, I have to ask you a broadcast question, John. Because I, I I went and double checked after the shot goes in, I counted. Do you know how long the layout was after the shot went in? It's probably not as long as it felt, but okay. But but I, but this is why this is why Dave's brilliant, and and I don't need to tell you that because you get to live it every single day, right? But Dave is one of the masters at letting letting the, the moment speak for itself and not trying to feel like that you have to be Johnny talks a lot and, and talk <laughs> over everything. But, but this is, but uh, it's great because even in a loss, it's fine to do that in a moment of, of celebration and exuberance, but it's also okay to do that in a moment of heartbreak and Dave did it. So the layout was 27 seconds. Wow. After, after the shot went in and then follows up with, with, where you guys carry on and have some thoughts about that before you go to break. But, but man, I, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to you guys and it happens. And as I'm stunned in that moment, like Dave allowing it to breathe in that moment, I mean, I, it just kind of sets in a little bit more of the, the angst and the turmoil that's coming from what you guys just witnessed. I, I, and that's not really a question. That's just a statement for me, for you guys and, and how you operate on the broadcast. But, um, it was definitely something that I noticed, man. But I, I had to check today, and it was 27 seconds long. I wouldn't have guessed that long. I mean, it, it's uh, – but, I, you know, sitting there and feeling – so basically now you want to – Scott, you'll appreciate this – talk about what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> talk about the digestion process of that shot. Uh, Listen, to what, what – and, and you're right. Dave is, is so good with that timing, and – you know, I I don't know that I had that same feeling for it early on, but going through that on different levels over the course of the first several years, you realize this: that say we're say we don't have the headsets on and we aren't calling the game, but we would be listening to that. How would we want someone to help us to feel 
as much as we can feel as if we were there. And and I think it's mm-hmm. it's to those extremes. It's Saturday with a disappointment, but it's also and I don't know how long it took me to say something after the end of either one of the last two Bedlam games in Stillwater in football. But you just you feel the emotion and the intensity from the crowd and if I were to jump in and say or Dave were to jump in and say oh you can feel the emotion and energy in the crowd well dummies you don't need to say that you know what if you're listening yeah, you've, you've ruined it at that yeah moment. exactly so so the last thing you've you want to do emotion. yeah the last thing you want to do is is ruin that sort of potential connection that a listener can have with the game and with the broadcast and and uh yeah I give Dave full credit for that he's he's tremendous when it comes to that Maybe just let everyone know that you're going to you're going to handle all the sorrows at stables shortly after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just don't immediately get in your car and drive down the Cimarron with a lot of anger. <laughs> it did seem like that uh the entire weekend and I know it didn't quite get the results that everyone wanted, but that was just such a massive weekend in Stillwater anyway with the hype around wrestling with Iowa coming in and just, I don't know, you kind of have those moments here in the spring with as well as softball is playing and baseball is coming back. Um, the campus just feels alive, like it's its its own living, breathing organism at one point, and this weekend was definitely one of those weekends in Stillwater. Oh, no question, no question. So. You know, you, you had 11,300-plus for basketball. Then you have 13,700-plus for wrestling on Sunday. And unfortunately, outside of, you know, you, you celebrate individual moments. Dayton Fix, oh, for gosh sakes, what's 36-0 and 0 in Gallagher in his collegiate career. Yes. A tremendous young man. Um, always want him on my side, I can tell you that. <laughs> But uh, but then for Iowa to rise to the occasion and and do what they did, that's uh, you know there there's disappointment. But I'll go back to something that our our former radio engineer, broadcast engineer Joe Riddle would say, and I think I've probably shared this before on the radio. But he he had you know because Joe did some stuff for OU early in his career and, and kind of back and forth, helped set up networks all across the country, that sort of thing. But he had some some of his OU uh, friends that were giving him a hard time about something Bedlam-related, and this has been several years ago. And, and Joe's retort was to them was, it's easy to be an OU fan. It takes courage to be an OSU fan. <laughs> And I mean, I mean, wow. you can't necessarily argue with with some of that. I mean, listen, every every uh, every right. every school's fan base has ups and downs, and that's 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 part of it. But uh, but when he said that the first time, I'm like, holy cow! There's a little bit of insight there. <laughs> you know who's not getting hype? Uh, fantastic! It's the 2024 Oklahoma State football team, John. Uh, they Bet Online released. Their odds to win the Big 12 today. There are seven teams that have better odds to win the Big 12 championship next year than OSU football. So, what do they know that I don't? Because I'm <laughs> I'm clueless as to why there would be seven teams with better odds. Well, yeah, I saw that, and when you mix that with what was it, FanDuel was seven and a half as the win total for both yeah. OSU and OU, by the way. Uh, we talked about that, about that last night on the Blitz a little bit, but um, here's what I think they see. 
I don't think they just totally turned off all the information coming in about OSU football after they lost to South Alabama. I don't think that's necessarily the case, although you could argue that that maybe that's what they're thinking. But you can go back to the fact that OSU won a lot of close games, which was great. You you, You get credit for that. Maybe you're not getting as much credit with these outlets as you should, but they're also probably looking at these guys were down double digits at Houston to a Houston team that really wasn't much by that time of the year, you know, and um, you know, they could point to a few things like that and then say, okay, Ollie Gordon ran for a lot of yards and they might, but they might say just how good really is that offensive line? Will that offensive line hold up? There's some guys who've had some injuries. I, you know, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. That may be some of what they're looking at. And when you mix that with, well, they they caught Kansas State on a it, okay. You can say that if you if if that's what they're doing, then that's just an OSU bias, you know, anti OSU bias or whatever. I think seven and a half wins is too low, given all the players they have coming back, and crossing your fingers that nobody leaves after the next portal closed, you know, during the next portal opening. Um, and I think that. Seven other teams with better odds. I mean, what what are they are they thinking that OSU is going to lose so big to Arkansas that it's going to damage them in the conference season? I I don't see seven other teams right now that I mean, or six other teams right now that uh, that should should have better odds to win the league. But then again, um, we haven't we haven't played any games yet. Yeah, what the heck has Arkansas done to deserve that type of respect coming off of last year? Yeah, I'm I'm saying that figuratively. I mean, I don't know if that's what they're what they're thinking. I'm yeah, just you know weird. play it play it earlier, but you know you you have Utah at home. You know you're you're going to uh, you, there are some there are some areas where I could see them saying, okay, well if this goes, then the dominoes may fall in the wrong direction. But you got so many guys coming back, and the team chemistry was so good down the stretch. You know that the guys pulling together that that gets that that never gets factored in. I don't think to win totals or odds at this time of the year. That yeah. that is such an underrated yet important quality that a football team has. And you've got too many guys on that team from they're coming back who had a major impact on that, most notably Alan Bowman, whether or not he ends up being the quarterback for the entire season or not. I mean, and and if he improves at all, right? Like, yeah. He was good enough to get them to the Big 12 championship as is. Like, odds are, in some way, he's going to be even a, a small degree improved. Sure. Within an, another entire offseason. Sure, sure. And, you know, I mean – Maybe they looked at uh, – maybe they're not factoring in some of the tweaks that OSU was making defensively, especially for the bowl game, and what that may look like through spring ball and, and uh, you know, whether how much better it may be. I mean, are they not factoring in, say, uh, Kendall Daniels? Maybe they just think that the way he played for the most part over the last half of the year, even though he was a little dinged up, Maybe they think that's who he is. What if he takes a major step forward and and is the guy that we saw, we've seen in flashes, just all kinds of playmaking types of things. You know what? What if you know what if they're looking at Colin Oliver in that three three five look, 
and they're they're discounting the fact that maybe maybe as he did down the stretch maybe they line him up as like the stand up four guy up front and give you a different look i mean i i just think the it, it it's way too early to be putting numbers out there like that but it's driving money and money it's driving money money drives everything but in this case <laughs> the numbers are driving people to want to decide whether or not they want to do that type of thing John, I know uh, you probably saw this over the weekend, but I always, uh, when I see a golf story, I think about, you know, like if John really wanted to give it a go and practice every single day, you know, maybe he could make it to a certain level. Uh, how about the uh, how about the Jake Knapp story the, who won the, uh, the uh, PGA Tours Mexico Open? Did you see where he ran out of money trying to qualify, so he spent nine months working as a bouncer at a nightclub to keep his dream alive and then just <laughs> happened to win $1.45 over the weekend? So, see, John, you too, if you just, if you just want to give this a go, right, might have to do a little bouncing in a local nightclub somewhere just to keep that dream alive. But, John, I, I believe in you, buddy. I know you can do it one day. Well, I might be – almost as big as Jake Knapp, who's just this side of Will Zalatoris <laughs> from what I could see. But he is bouncer. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a bouncer? So does he know – he's got to know some sort of martial art then. Like, because, yeah, I would not – and I hate to, you know, just look at someone <laughs> and say I, I'm not intimidated by them, but I, I, I'm – Zalatoris one is a, is a proper way to look at him. <laughs> well, I got three words for what type of bouncer, what move he'd need was – Vulcan neck pinch. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait a minute. It's not like Dalton from Roadhouse was some, you know, giant, like, impressive figure anyway, like, in terms of hulking. You know, maybe maybe Jake has mastered the throat rip. That could be. That's how. That could be. All I know is I don't want any part of any of those dudes. And and as far as where, you know, if I practiced every day, I could get somewhere. Yeah, you know where I'd get? I'd probably get to the next municipal golf course around the corner and play there again, too. There you go. There you go. (laughs) But I did hit it well in the range yesterday. I did. (laughs) When was the last court storming in Stillwater? Oh, gosh. Uh, I think maybe the last win over Kansas in Stillwater. I think that would probably have to be it, but I couldn't even tell you what year. I mean, that's Anybody just happened th- to get hurt that day? No. Now, there was one a few years back that, and it might have been Mike Boynton's first year when I think that uh, they got the sweep because they won in Lawrence and then won in Stillwater. I think I've got that right. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I just remember that there were students starting to want to come over the top of Dave and me at the table. That was the first one where I'm I'm like, okay, we need to not do that. And uh, but I don't know of any time in basketball in Stillwater where anyone's actually gotten injured. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. I and I don't know. I mean, are you really going to be able to stop it? Are the fines going to you know, if you end up fining, then that would probably cause I, I'll, okay I remember this we went to Kansas State I think it was a couple of seasons ago for basketball they actually their security people actually practiced the security team the group of people sprinting out to their positions each holding a rope which there's a metaphor for that 
But and I'm and I'm telling you, there two thirds of the people, and this is not disparaging. This is just fact. Two thirds of the people that were going to try to sprint probably shouldn't be sprinting. But they practiced it and almost ran me over in the process. <laughs> <laughs> just practicing it like two hours beforehand before anybody was in the stands i'm like oh okay well i mean it's preparedness you know have a plan so you could argue the prevention of court storming as dangerous as the court storming itself personally yes because i almost got run over <laughs> so where are we is it the chicken go. or the egg or there whatever you go, right yeah uh good stuff john we'll catch up again tomorrow my friend sounds great fellas that is John Holcomb joining us via the Blitz Hotline. I am Colby Daniels, along with Jeremy Poplin and Scott File in the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studio. It's Dusty Dvorak next on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app.